What is going on, movie lovers? Welcome back to the 194th edition of No Content for Old Men. This is the podcast where every week I give you reviews of the latest movies and some streaming suggestions for your weekend. As always, I'm your host, Matt Craig. Thank you so much for listening. And this week, I went to the movie theaters three times. I was very excited to get out and see all of these movies, so we're going to be talking about them in full. The Woman King, Moon Age Daydream, which is the David Bowie documentary, as well as See How They Run, the whodunit mystery. So a little bit for everyone. Three very, very different kinds of movies, and I hope that you are able to enjoy all three of them. Um, So yeah, before we jump into it, I do want to uh, give a shout out to my newsletter, mattcraig.substack.com. That's where you can get in touch with me if you don't want to reach out on Twitter at Mr. Matt Craig. Um, but in either place, you can let me know what you think of any of these movies, if you've seen them, what other movies you've been watching, or what movies I should be watching for future episodes. Until then, let's talk The Woman King. The word most often used to describe The Woman King, in every review and article I've seen about the movie's surprisingly strong box office opening or its A-plus audience score, is fresh. It's a fresh action-adventure movie. The word is coded and about as subtle as when they call white athletes scrappy. Let's call the movie what it is, unapologetically black and female. Focusing in on the real-life, all-female Kingsguard of an African kingdom in the 18th century, it's a celebration of the black female form in motion, and that effect is truly powerful. It's awesome to see these powerful women fight, dance, and simply exist in the way they do in this movie. No elegant way to say. It's just really, really cool. There's zero precedent for this kind of story on this scale, told from this perspective, a fact that should be both applauded and pitied. And in fact, there are so many examples of white erasure in similar war war stories that this movie has become almost unassailable. To hate it is to hate progress. So rather than say, I hated it, I'll introduce my own form of coded language and say, this was literally a Marvel movie. I mean that in every sense of the word. Its storytelling decisions are simplistic and patronizing to the audience. Stakes and consequences are almost, I will say almost, not entirely, but almost non-existent. Emotional manipulation was in full force with the string music and the character's waterworks. Even some of the action sequences were gray-colored and bloodless in the classic Marvel House style. Seriously, for a movie featuring literally hundreds of point-blank sword deaths, you'd be amazed how little blood there is. As is the case with many Marvel movies, the performances are excellent and the actors overqualified. Viola Davis might have the most commanding and captivating screen persona on the planet right now, and she's matched almost beat-for-beat here by the newcomer, Thuso Mbedo, if I pronounce that right. She's fresh off Barry Jenkins' The Under- Underground Railroad, which is where I first saw her, and she was excellent. Um, Lashana Lynch, lest we forget, was briefly given the Agent 007 title in the latest James Bond film. John Boyega impressed me in Breaking. They're all great here. So I know when I register my dislike of this movie, it comes with an enormous grain of salt, an admission that it's not my type of movie. 
Despite its social messaging, I hold it to the same standard, and I'd like to believe that reading this newsletter has helped several of you shake loose of the Marvel brainwashing trance that holds the industry captive at the moment, although it's slipping with every new MCU bomb. I won't go so far as to say or to accuse those who like this as being simpletons. I'd just say that the trance breaks down quickly here the moment any sort of critical thought is applied to it. I visibly eye-rolled and shook my head at a few moments. Now, dumb war movies have always been crowd-pleasers. For the past 100 years, moviegoers have watched movies like Braveheart, the Rambo series, Last of the Mohicans, 300, Troy, Dances with Wolves, The Last Samurai, and dozens of other do- dozens of others paper over shoddy storytelling with the propaganda of white male bravery. Villains, most of them non-white and the rest vaguely Russian, are reduced to almost comical levels of evil, and their henchmen nothing more than cartoon characters, also that the audience feels nothing when our hero cuts them down two at a time. That's exactly what happens here. In fact, this movie is basically a greatest hits medley of war movies gone by, sometimes with painful obviousness. And what do you know, producers of Hollywood, that the same story told with black characters would be just as effective. If anything, it's a testament to moviegoers that they've embraced what is perhaps the most anti-white and anti-male mainstream movie to have ever been released. White people here are slavers, and they're systematically sliced, bashed, and set on fire. These days, that's one of the few things we can all cheer for unapologetically. I'm just not really sure that that alone earns the movie a free pass from criticisms that it's a shallow, cheesy, big-budget punch fest one which halted all surprise and innovation after the premise and the casting process. Thanks, but for me, no thanks. All right, next up is Moon Age Daydream, which is also playing only in theaters. The new David Bowie documentary is one part concert film, one part abstract cultural essay, and three parts philosophical magnum opus. It doesn't attempt to explain the life or impact of the rock and roll icon as much as it simply presents the unadulterated gospel according to Bowie, which I could sum up as the following. Life is chaos, and we should all embrace it. The movie is an overwhelming sensory overload, cut like a two-hour psychedelic music video that manages to walk through Bowie's long career without a hint of exposition. Each phase is presented more or less like a thought experiment. Bowie exploded onto the scene in the early 1970s after the cultural chaos of the late 60s seemed to confirm the Nietzschean idea that God is dead and we have killed him, prompting an era where people were ready to let the freak flags fly. Bowie's outlandish, androgynous, alien-like Ziggy Stardust character was artifice upon artifice, which Bowie spent the rest of his career slowly stripping away until amazingly in his later years, he seemed to have found the enlightenment he spent so long searching for. His restless creativity and courage to take risks is on full display in this film and serves as a major inspiration to anyone who dabbles in the creative arts. I love this movie, but to be fair, I came in being already a huge Bowie fan and had the privilege of watching this movie in IMAX with the full benefit of sound and fury it provides. I think the movie works no matter your pre-existing knowledge or the size of screen, but if you can copy my experience, I highly recommend it.
And lastly for us, also in theaters, see how they run. In theory, I mean, whodunits should be an incredibly tired genre. Agatha Christie, its patron saint, published her most well-known works almost 90 years ago, 90 years ago. And by now, there have been so many incarnations and adaptations that audiences know the genre tropes like the back of their hand. If you've seen one, you've seen them all, as one character puts it, and see how they run. Yet the genre is undergoing a resurgence, and in a world of fewer and fewer studio comedies, it seems to me to be the one that's still allowed to have a little fun. It's done so, honestly, by eating its own tail. Genre tropes aren't ignored or pretended not to exist. They are embraced as explicit text. Knives Out centers its story around a mystery novelist and this movie around a real-life Christie adaptation on the stage, which is The Mousetrap. Ironic because it's the longest-running play of all time and has been begging audiences continuously since 1952 not to spoil the twist. As I've said many times before, there's nothing the current era of filmmaking likes more than winking at the audiences with an ironic detachment and letting them know that it too is in on the joke. In any other instance, that attitude murders, no pun intended, all dramatic tension. But it's a perfect marriage with the whodunit story. These movies can have their cake, being jokes playing on the audience's expectations of the tropes, and eat it too, because here we're more willing to more than willing to fall for a twist on a twist ending. Fun, then, is the best word to describe this movie. Thanks almost entirely to the genius of Saoirse Ronan, who might just be the best actor on the planet right now, full stop. I mean, she's 28 years old with four Oscar noms. And here she shows her comedic timing is just as good, if not better, than her prestige chops. She plays a junior detective following around Sam Rockwell's more classic, weary, drunken detective, like a wide-eyed puppy dog. This isn't a movie I would feel the need to rush out and see immediately in theaters, but as soon as it hits streaming services, it will rise to the level of must-watch for any fans of the genre. I know I, for one, wouldn't mind if they made five more of these every year. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you head over to the newsletter, again, at mattcraig.substack.com, you'll see this week's trailer watch, which is Bardo, the new movie uh, and much-discussed movie within movie circles uh, from Alejandro González Inarritu, the Mexican filmmaker who also made Birdman and The Revenant and now is uh, maybe getting his comeuppance, at least among critics. It's, it's become very fashionable to hate on him, and I explain why as well as show off the new trailer for his potential awards movie, although I think he's, he's going to get shunned uh, based on the reception that this has gotten at the festivals. Anyway, um, all that in the newsletter. As for next week's show, it's Don't Worry Darling Week. I mean, come on. This movie, if you follow, well, I mean, really, even if you had just are on the internet at all, you know the many controversies behind the making of this movie. Uh, Olivia Wilde, Florence Pugh, of course, Harry Styles. And now we're actually going to see the movie itself. And I can't wait to do that and talk about it with you next Friday. Until then, guys, I guess I'll see you at the movies.